welcome to this week's episode of the 13th Floor Podcast. I'm Susie. I'm Alex. I'm James. And we're back. It's another week. And this is the kickoff of our Patreon patron requests. Ah. This, you guys. So PPQs is called. <laughs> PPQs. Uh, these oh, I are. I guess they're requests, yeah, not quests. PPRs, <laughs> but. No. Listen, listen, listen. I got a headache, okay? Yeah, um, Alex had to take a leave right before we started recording, and he's been in a very odd mood since then. Muscular induced. <sighs> you guys, he's been a lot. But no, so all of our patrons, we reached out to you over the summer and said, hey, when we come back from Cece's maternity leave, we are going to devote a slew of episodes to your specific requests just to kind of thank everybody for sticking with us while we are away so our first episode that we're going to be talking about this week is from our wonderful amazing patron christina hi christina hi christina yes and she wanted us to talk about she specifically requested more information on faberge eggs Yes. That was a good episode. That was one of my favorite episodes. Yes. But she wanted us to talk about that, and we've kind of morphed it just so that we have topics for everybody, because there's only so much Fabergé egg information out there. I do have an update, though, which I'll get into here in in a minute. Mm. But to spread the, the love so that everybody has something to talk about, we are going to be doing just missing historical artifacts. Right? Yeah, we got a seventies vibe going on here. Yeah, James, we're spreading the love. Spreading the love, James. Did you do your I, research? I sure did. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I totally didn't think this was the Mandela Effect episode. <laughs> oh, James, that's next week. That's next week. So, uh, so you guys, James is flying by the seat of his pants. Is what I've learned. <laughs> now we know why James wanted to go last. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I didn't even know when I made that request. So, oh no! Here we are, Christina. <laughs> I am so sorry that, so that you had to listen to James clicking on his keyboard the whole time. You still have fun. Yeah, you all. This is the thing. I sent out. I sent out a list of all of our episodes and the dates they're coming out to James and Alex. And it seems as though my email and all of my hard work has just been thrown to the side. Listen, mm. I've been unsubscribing a lot to emails lately. Maybe I unsubscribe to your. You unsubscribe to your wife's. <laughs> here's here's something else that Alex says, James. You'll notice, you know, in our group texts, Alex very seldom has anything to say. It's because he doesn't check his text messages. I uh, I have see, given up on the see text that. Messages. I'm I'm like immediate. Somebody texts me, it's like bam, like almost to the point that it probably comes across as a little too eager. Because like somebody texts me, and I'm like, mm. I, I'm me at the, I'm at the point where I see a text and I go. I might look at it. He never looks at it. I mean, ever. I send him funny videos all the time, and I'm like, hey, you see that funny video I sent you today? And he's just like, what video? And then I get angry at him. I just, like my my parents, they get upset with me with how little I interact with my phone. And I'm like, isn't it a good thing that I just don't care? (laughs) Like, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a sign of being healthy or a sociopath? Like, I feel like it is. I I feel like it's one of those things where you've got to like, you know, if your wife or your parents reach out to you, you might want to get back to them because they might be. Even when it's a a video with like, oh, this is so funny. I think the same way with Gwen. And it's a video from Instagram. I'm like, it looks funny, but I'm not going to listen to it at work with audio on. Listen, listen. It le- and that's definitely. I, I, I figure there's no emergency attached to that. Like you're not wait. You're not sending me an Instagram video as an SOS. <laughs> oh wow! All the memes I send to Alex, he just ignores. Apparently, I, I, it's true. Okay. He I see does. Some. I see some. He ignores them, James. I see them half the time, and I say I have no idea what this meme means. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's expected. <laughs> yeah, but. I still look at them and yeah, I'll send you. you something like a little laughy face, even though it's like, it. you know how sometimes when somebody says something to you and you don't understand what they're saying, so you just laugh like, ah, mm, yeah, that's, that's my MO. Yeah. That's, that's me and half of your memes, James. I'll be mm. straightforward, transparent with you. I uh, get a lot more than she does, but yeah, I, I, I still miss the boat on some, I gotta say. Mm. James is just so highbrow that he's so smart that he sends us stuff and we're just like, Most huh? of them are OC, so yeah. Yeah, well. 
Anyways, you said a good one today. Uh, the one about dogs. No, not I said you one about dogs. <laughs> CC took to credit for your great meme. Oh, goodness. <laughs> okay. Anyways, listen, we are wildly off topic. This yeah. episode is about Christina and her his- missing historical artifacts. I do want to give James some props. His Europeans with cryptids versus Americans with cryptids. Thank you. Was stellar. Okay, there you go. James. I swear, I swear. But you know what? You know what? Sorry, I'm, sorry, Christine. Christina, uh, get it right. I, w- I hadn't finished yet. Maybe if you, <laughs> I was getting ready to say ah, uh, and then you just uh, butt it in, mm-hmm. Christina. I'm sorry she interrupted while I said thank you. Listen, you. I think that Christina is ready for some hearty hellos. Oh yeah. Yes. So we're gonna do hearty hellos. We're gonna travel around the globe. We're going to say hello to everybody in Costa Rica. Ah. That is our our third top listens for the month of November in Costa Rica. That's where pumpkin evolved. So props to Costa Rica. Delicious. Thanks for all that spice. Yeah. (laughs) Delicious. I I should clarify pumpkin the the spider. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe in some countries. Delicious. And then, uh, uh, and then we're also going to give a hearty hello to El Salvador because that's a new one on our list. <laughs> that pause, you and me. This episode has gone off the rails. It's okay. Okay, and then statewide, we're going to say hello to Alaska. Oh, Hi, Alaska. You guys hello. have had a lot to listen this month. Yeah, you got nothing else to do because it's dark. It's dark. <laughs> but then, you know, I don't know, Christina, I'm not sure where you're from. So if you want to reach out and tell me where you're from, we'll give a hearty hello to your state as well, too. Maybe in the next mm. episode or an episode after. I'm not sure. We'll give give you all a hearty hello. But Just for clarification, Alaska, I don't know if you're actually dark 24-7 yet. but No, they're, they're a little ways from it. But still, yeah. still, oof. Oof. And then those vampires come during your 30 I'd, days of night, and I'm sorry. I, guess I know it's a rough month. I'd actually prefer 30 days of night to, to the, the opposite that they get in the summer, where it's like just noon all the time. No. That sounds terrible. No. Mm-hmm. I, would rather, I would rather have the sunlight. Is this our icebreaker? <laughs> this is our icebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather have the sunlight because it is so much easier to close your blinds and make your house dark. But you need that vitamin D, you know? Like, I want to go outside and feel the sun on my skin and be like, I'm alive. Yeah. I don't want to go outside in the dark and say, oh, I feel like, you know. You make, ooh, this is a really good point, Cece. Yeah, it is. You you can make your house dark like it's nighttime if you want. Yeah. Not to the degree that I want, though. No. No. James. I, I'm with Cece. I'm for the daytime, no. actually. Hey, yeah. no, go for it. I mean, the nighttime, again, vampires. So, yeah, yeah, no, daytime. no. I I want to. Uh, I, I would pro- vastly prefer thirty days a night to thirty days at noon. Would you rather be ma- mauled by wolves in the snow during the day or night? I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. You have I mean, a better chance way. during the day. Yeah, yeah. They also have a chance of toying with you during the day. At least at night, they'll just rip your jugular out. See, mm. James, that is so dark. <laughs> just like what you prefer. 30 days of night, you weird, weird man. Mm. Um, okay, fun icebreaker. Can you guys. spiders survive without light? Yeah, what about yeah. spiders? Actually, they're they're totally okay with it. Mm. No, we they do not James need is. vitamin D. James is part spider. <laughs> you know, James wants to be a part of the, what's it called? Singularity? Mm. Ah. What if James wants to become a no. spider cyborg man? I actually heard that. That I heard, sounds flipping awesome. Frank. I actually heard that James volunteered for CRISPR for their spider <laughs> <laughs> their spider program. Oh my god! Hmm. No, being like Doc Ock, that sounds awesome though. He, yeah, I, yeah. Things mm. work out real well for him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen. I think it's time for us to honor. Getting beat up by a teenager every day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time for us to honor Christina and hop into her topic, okay? Sounds good. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to go first because my laptop's almost dead. And we also, you guys, I think this is the first episode we recorded where Archer hasn't been awake, knock on wood. <laughs> He's sleeping. Oops. Yeah, let's not tempt fate right now. Let's go. Okay, listen. It's, it's my turn. I'm going first. Okay. 
So I don't have, again, much more on Fabergé eggs. Christina, I apologize. But there was a little tiny update that happened over the summertime. Do you guys remember when the U.S. was seizing a whole bunch of Russian oligarchs' yachts and stuff? Yeah. Over the summer, apparently, they stole this one guy's yacht. His name is Solomon Karimov. He is a billionaire. He apparently has like $15 billion. Solomon Karimov? (laughs) <laughs> caramel. <laughs> Salt and caramel. <laughs> uh, they took a $300 million yacht and authorities said that they think there might have been a Fabergé egg on, on that yacht. Mm. But then at mm. the same time, also, they haven't really released any pictures. And so some that's, people. That's think shady as heck. Uh, that tells I'm me more inclined to think real. they spirited that one away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that tells me it was real. <laughs> yeah. Well, per author Tony Faber, he wrote a book with the title. Are you Fabergé? His name? name? Fabergé Eggs is the title of his book, you guys. And he says, quote, the likelihood that it is real is pretty small, I think, probably. That's to say there are 50 of these eggs made, and they are fabulous. You know, these wonderful examples of creativity, of luxury as well. These links to the decadent Romanovs and their court. But there are only 50 of them. And we know where 43 of them are. I don't think that it's likely to be one of those 43. So then we're down to the missing seven. Hmm. That has been basically missing since the revolution. So that, end quote, the way this man talks tells exactly. me that he might be one of the eggs. I was, that's what I was thinking. He either hatched from one or he stole one. It's one of the two. There's no third option. If he's got one, I'm so jealous. Because again, that's like one of my life dreams. I just want to have a Fabergé egg. And I... One of the 50? One of the, <laughs> one of the missing seven I want to find. But I have this vivid memory when I think I've been mentioned it during our Fabergé egg episode where when my grandmother on my mom's side passed away, we got a whole bunch of stuff. And I swear to goodness, we had some egg type thing that opened that was with all the stuff. And I know it wasn't a real Fabergé egg, but I'm just going to pretend like it was a real Fabergé egg because why not? You know? And one of my uncles, he made quote unquote Fabergé eggs for me. He really just painted eggs. It was very sweet, sweet gesture. But then I'm Mm. like, what if, what if he knew that that my family had a Fabergé egg and that was his way of giving me a hint? (laughs) What if if you cracked one open, it would actually tell you where the location of it. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Would have been Da Vinci Code Easter edition. Yeah. I like it. I those those eggs are precious to me. My uncle passed away, so I'm not going to crack any of them open, even if it does have a hint inside. But now I'm quite, now I'm, I'll do it. I'll go and shake them and see if I hear anything on the inside. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, it's time for me to get to my real topic. You guys, are you guys ready? Ready. Yeah. I'm going to be talking about the glorious religious antiquity lost to time, known as the Ark of the Covenant. Oh. Yes. And I'm very proud, you guys. My Nat Geo subscription finally paid off this month because that's where I got most of my information from. We still pay for that. Oh, yeah. We still pay for it. I love it. I don't hardly <laughs> use it at all, but it ca- it came in clutch today. So here's some information, you guys, about the Ark of the Covenant. And I feel like if if anybody's involved in church, you probably know the story of the Ark of the Covenant. Or seen Indiana Jones. <laughs> or, seen, or seen Indiana Jones. But the Ark of the Covenant is this box, this religious box that was made by the Israelites some 3,000 years ago to carry around. Alex, why are you laughing? What's so funny about this? Just the way you said it, religious box. I just pictured <laughs> a box worshiping. No. <laughs> well, it's like a divine box because it's got this thing on top of it called the mercy seat, which is supposed to be where the Lord can sit. Hmm. So it's like, it's legit. Don't make fun of the Ark of the Covenant. I'm not making fun of it. I'm making fun of your phrasing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mm. Okay, so anyways, used to carry around several religious items, including the tablets with the Ten Commandments etched on them. But it's not the original set, because Moses Moses got angry and broke those in Exodus. It said that he came down the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he saw the Israelites worshiping the golden calf statue. And he's like, what the heck? And he took the, uh, the first set of commandments and he smashed them. No longer yeah. mint condition. Yeah, Resale value has gone down. God was like, what do you do? Like, why'd you do that, man? And so God make, made him make a second pair. And so then we've got those ones are supposedly in the ark. Hmm. And then also inside is Aaron's staff. 
the staff that God turned into a snake. He goes, ah, and it turns into a snake. <laughs> he goes, ah. <laughs> Oh, wow. And then there's also a jar of manna to represent the, um, the provisions and food that God gave the Israelites when they were oh. out and about. So that's what's inside of it. The box is there's there's like some differences of opinion as, as to what it's made of because you know over time over history stories change or start stories are elaborated or stories sure. you don't know this was three thousand years ago so some references in the Bible say it's made of just wood and then some of them say it's wood and gold I would like to think it's wood and gold um, yeah yeah and it's got two holes on the side that they stick uh, sticks through these big dowels these big wooden rods and two golden angels on top that are like looking over the ark because again yeah, I've always theorized that the rods conduct electricity it 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 reminds me of the babylon battery what what's the babylon battery oh yeah in in babylon they uh they took jars of salt water clay clay jars of salt water and added uh, metal rods to them, which is just enough to conduct electricity to perform miracles and, like, you know, showcase the power of, you know, insert deity here. Behold the power of deity! And then, you know, <laughs> sparks and stuff. It's like, imagine, basically imagine a Bronze Age Tesla coil, like, just blowing people's minds. Oh, my gosh. Cool. Well, they say if you touch this thing, you will die. God will yeah. kill you if you touch the ark. So that's why they say it's carried around with the, the rods. Because apparently there was one time where the ark was about to fall over and a guy tried to steady it and he died. Yep, got electrocuted. Immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Causes harm to anyone who touches it or looks inside of it, okay? We've all seen Indiana Jones. (laughs) Everyone's face melted. That movie terrified me. And you know what's hilarious? (laughs) I have a very vivid memory. When I was in church school, <laughs> my teacher showed us the clip. Oh, really? Yes. And I don't know why, but they showed that to us and it was terrifying. And then I watched it again later, like several years later, I think it was in a film class. Mm-hmm. And they showed us like the end of the movie and it terrified me. I had Oops. nightmares days on days because of this thing. I'm like, why would anyone ever want to look inside? This arc, if they saw it, you know, it's, a, it's done really well. That scene is those effects yeah. are really good. It is. I remember thinking, Indiana, keep your eyes closed. So not to shoehorn bugs into everything, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> man, but you know, mana. Nobody really knows for sure what mana was, but uh, Aramaic word mana manhu means aphid, and uh, a lot of people think, well, you know, aphids poop honeydew sugar water it does evaporate just like in the stories it does have a lot of nutrients so a lot of people speculate that manna is actually uh aphid poop interesting i didn't know that i always pictured it uh, that's why ants take care of aphids so they get that aphid poop i always pictured it being like a piece of bread like a yeah yeah like limbus from the lord of the rings (laughs) yeah (laughs) so bugs and hobbits Bugs and hobbits. That's if there are two words to describe James in a nutshell. Bugs and hobbits. Bugs and hobbits. Okay, so anyways, you guys, back to the topic at hand. There's also a story. Um, the Philistines. Do you remember them, Alex? Yeah. They tried to steal the Ark once, and they were successful. But then once they stole it, life started going bad for them. There's a plague. Like all their food died, and then. Mm. Everybody got sick with boils and stuff, and and then they were like, "Listen, we don't want this anymore." And they gave it back to the Israelites, and the Israelites, thanks, they took it back. Mm. So, just another another story as to why you need to be careful with this thing if you ever come across it because it's missing. Um, and then miracle wise, because it's also since it's like you know God's God on earth, it's His divine mercy seats where He can reside. It's Him. Miracle wise. It helped the Israelites avoid perils while they were while they were during during the Exodus, like poisonous animals. It protected them from mm-hmm. wild animals, and then it also famously said to have stopped the Jordan River when they had to cross into it in the Promised Land. And so, as soon as they stepped their toes into the water, it stopped running so that they could pass safely. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's like, a, there's a whole bunch of stories as to what this, this arc could have done or did do. Mm-hmm. James, do you have any idea as to why the arc would have uh, stopped a river from running? No. In fact, if you heard that snicker a minute ago, that was the, the wild animals thing. I was thinking, yeah, it's a taser. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as for river, yeah, I don't know about that. James one. can't explain that one. Those rods mm. didn't do anything for that. It's because the electricity was so hot, it just evaporated. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, they also apparently helped the Israelites defeat their foes during times of war, like when they went up against Jericho. It said they took the, the ark and they marched around the walls of the city several times and they were like blowing trumpets and stuff. And then eventually the walls of the city just crumbled and they were like, oh yeah. And then they beat everybody. <laughs> I just pictured them running up and smacking their foes with the coat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you guys, here's the thing about the Ark of the Covenant. As this top, the topic of this episode you know, states it's missing. We don't know where it's at. It's been gone for a very long time. Apparently since the late 500 BCs, this thing went missing and they think it disappeared when the Babylonians conquered the Israelites in Jerusalem. And no one knows if it was destroyed, if it was stolen or if they may have removed it from the city before the Babylonians came in to like, take it somewhere safe. So nobody's seen it since then. It hasn't been heard from. And another thing is that apparently, I didn't know this, but there's a list of items and things that the Babylonians destroyed or stole. And the Ark of the Covenant's not on that list, you guys. This. So nobody knows where it is. There are some theories, though. Do you want to know the theories? I want to hear them. Yes. Okay. So there are three big ones. The first is that it's in a church in Ethiopia in the town of Aksum inside St. Mary of Zion Cathedral. And there it's said to be guarded by one person. I think it's a monk. Um, some Someone, it's only one person can be around it because they don't want anyone near it. They don't want anybody to touch it. They don't want anybody to see it. So that being said, it makes it hard to verify if that's actually the Ark of the Covenant in there. You just go touch it and then everyone else will tell you whether... Uh, that was the real one. Or no, not? See, well, there's there was one thing that I read, and I can't remember where I read it somewhere online, um, which <laughs> doesn't really, you know, who knows? Uh, some guy apparently said that he had seen it there and that it wasn't real. So okay. I don't know. It's a theory. <clears throat> some people also think that it's tucked safely inside a cave. A cave? A cave. <laughs> no cave in specific, just a cave. Because if we knew, then if we knew what we'll cave it was, it. we would go and find it, right? Fair point. Okay. And then the last one, and this is one of the most common theories. This is the one that I was taught when I was in CCD growing up inside, inside Bible school, is that it was located underneath the Dome of the Rock Shrine, which is a sacred land. So you're not allowed to go in there and it's sacred in Islam. So you're not allowed to go in there and just like start digging things up, mm. you know? Right. So some people think that it's located in or underneath there. That is what I always thought. Cause that's what I was told when I was in Bible school. Um, but that mm. being said, there's no way to, to verify it. And this is the hard thing about this is people have been looking for this Ark of the Covenant for centuries, for years, for hundreds mm. of years. We still yeah, haven't fifteen hundred years. Yeah, what James said, and we still haven't found it. <laughs> so, you guys, the Ark of the Covenant. James, do you think that we'll ever find it? Hard to say, really. Um, I think if we did, it would be a turning point in history. So, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I, I don't think that we'll ever find it, and I think that if we did ever find it, it would be kept super secret. Mm-hmm. For sure. This. Alex, what are you talking about? All right, scoot over. Okay. I got slick pants. So here we shuffle around. All right. <clears throat> All right. What are you talking about, Moy? I'm getting, I'm getting it pulled up. Oh, my god! You gosh. have to open your computer half the time to listen to you click like, clap, 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 clap. Listen, it's a good ASMR, mm. the sound of fingers on keys. Mm. <laughs> my lost artifact isn't quite as old as yours, Cece. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I decided to do a more recent lost artifact, but not so old, so old. Mine is the lost camera of George Mallory. Who's George Mallory? So, in June 8th, 1924, 
Uh, and shout out to Live Science for their article, uh, Most Valuable Treasures Still Missing. Oh, I got some information from mine from Live Live Science, too. Oh, you forgot to shout them out? Yes. Shame. I always forget to do my assignments, too, so it's okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, but British explorers George Mallory and Andrew Irvine uh, were climbing Everest uh, in 1924. And they were lost somewhere near the top of Everest. And the big question here is, did they ever get to the top? Did they die on the way down? Did they die on the way up? Nobody knows. So there's a camera being carried by George Mallory in his uh, shirt pocket that would have the answers. Now, no, when they did die, or I guess weren't seen again, no one reached the summit for quite some time and no one could find their bodies. And so um, it's for a very long time. No one really knew the answer to maybe they did make it to the top and they just died on the sub on the very, very tip top. But Hmm. Mallory's body was actually discovered in 1999. Where was it? Now he was about 2000 feet from the top. So he's real so, close to the top. Yep. So he was 2,000 feet. Uh, it looked like he had taken a pretty steep fall oh. and died. Oh, bless his heart. Yeah. So they found his body. Um, but the problem was is that Irvine has never been found. Now, Irvine wasn't carrying the camera. Mallory was. But it's possible that maybe the camera changed hands or something like that. Uh, yeah. I ask, sometimes I ask you to carry my cell phone for me. Yeah, he's the same thing. Yeah, Mallory could have been there like, here, go, Irvine, hold this for me. And then he could have fallen in a crevasse or something. Oh, oh. <laughs> exactly. So since Irvine hasn't been found, they can't rule out that the camera wasn't in his possession. When things went awry. So, the the pursuit of this camera has really led to a lot of consternation <laughs> in the Mount Everest climbing community. Mm-hmm. And just general history mm-hmm. books, right? Mm-hmm. These are the two people that could have possibly been the first people to ever reach the summit. And they could have died coming down. Right, and they could have died coming down. Now, the issue here is that several years later, um, not until 1953, did anyone reach the summit. So what if some? What if the first person who climbed it and reached the summit saw them and was like, I'm going to take the camera so I'm the first person that came? Well, that's... Wait, what? Say that again. The, the, pers- the first person to go up could have found them and been like, hey, this camera... I want to be the first person to say that that climbed Mount Everest. Oh no, they we already knew they climbed it though. We, we, well, but we, getting to the top though, uh, right? Gotcha. It, the debate, man, that's a special kind of cycle, right? The, <laughs> it's possible. The debate is whether anyone got to the very top mm. because <clears throat> the last time, the last time anyone was seen of the expedition was. Uh, one of their teammates, Noel Odell, he was seen 800 feet <laughs> from the summit. That's close. It's really close. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of odd that the guy fell 2,000 feet. But if he, or was it 2,000 feet when they found his body? But if he took a fall, I mean, it's a, I don't know. <laughs> oh, or they could have given up and turned back, too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you've got to verify if you made it to the top or not. You just can't make these assumptions, which has led to a lot of the problems. So, uh, I said earlier that the 1953, no one really reached the, the, the summit, but there was this Chinese team in 1960 that was the first team to get there. Now... When when you when you're the first team to get to this point, what would you do if you possibly found evidence that someone had been there before you? 
You get rid of it. That's right. That's what I was saying earlier. Well, and you're onto something because over the last couple of years, things have gotten pretty interesting. Ooh, okay. drama. Yeah. In, uh, in 2019, an author, thank you to the website Petapixel for this article, um, an author and climber Mark Sinat, he visited the spot on the north face of Everest, which is the hardest spot to climb. There's several, several different pathways up Everest, but the north face is the side that's like, you want to do the hard route or do you want to do the easy route? There's no easy route up Everest, but there's a hard route. Yeah. <laughs> and the North Face, which is, I guess, the, why that brand has the name. I, I was thinking that. <laughs> I love North Face, man. Um, they, yeah, I guess that's why that brand is named that, which is kind of cool. I didn't realize it until I was reading this article. Um, but they they found – so Senate visited the spot where they found Mallory's body. And what he wanted to find was the VPK. And the VPK is what they call this camera. And he's trying to find Irvine's body. And this is an interview. In an interview that he had with Salon, he was telling them that he climbed up by himself. And he with using GPS coordinates and some advanced drones, he tried to search the area to find these things. So he's up there <laughs> being annoying with his drones. I'm sure annoying every... Uh, Yeti in the area and he's not really finding anything despite knowing what or quote unquote knowing where he thinks everything should be you know he, he says here that during his expeditions up this mountain that he kept hearing rumors uh, that explained why he could not for the life of him find Irvine and he says the Chinese found his body and the camera long ago and then buried the story now I was really worried that it was going to be Edmund Hillary, and I was like, "Oh God, please no! He's such a good guy." <laughs> Edmund Edmund Hillary didn't do anything wrong, as far as I know. Okay, but he what he did lead that team in 1953. Um, mm. Now the weird thing over here is that we run into the problem with people and writing books. Mm. What's for profit and what's true? Yeah, what what's yeah. Mm. Because banned, <laughs> it almost <laughs> seems that way. Because a lot of what Sinat goes on to say is from sources that remain anonymous. Okay, so okay. He's, so it could just be completely. No, there's some there's some other things here that are eyebrow raising that are official and are even documented. But we're, we're going to stick with what's in his book. He says, an official with the Chinese-Tibet Mountaineering Association told a Nepali friend of mine, here we go, in the fall of 2019 that the rumors are true. The camera was kept under lock and key with other Mallory and Irvine artifacts in a museum in China. Now, he says he has multiple sources saying all the same thing, but... He says the reason why a lot of this stuff hasn't <laughs> come to fruition isn't n- quite the reason we are initially led to believe, which is that the 1960 Chinese team was the first to get to the summit. It's not that. So it's not sinister. It's No, it's actually, with his intel, it's actually because of incompetence. And he says that they actually re- retrieved all of these artifacts and they removed the body and were guarding all this information for themselves. And then they went to restore the film because the idea is that these conditions are pretty ideal for keeping this film preserved. But when they went back home to do this, they botched it hmm. and they ruined the film. And they don't want anyone to know. And they don't want anyone to know. <laughs> Wow. So that's that's what he is is hearing. And I'm sure it's also I mean, this is China in the nineteen sixty. Uh is that Mao? Is Mao still? No, Mao's kicking so. around at this yeah, point in time. Still so yeah. nineteen sixty China, you do things you do things for China. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Mao Mao yeah, Mao's still running the show um in nineteen sixty mm. China. So they were going to lie either way, I think. But Sinat's book 
was published in 2021 in April. And he says that a month after he published this book, I mean, obviously a lot of consternation is going to come around a book release like this, right? With people that are obsessed with this type of thing. And he says that someone reached out to him, a man named Wayne Wilcox, who was a former United States Marine officer. And he's married to a British diplomat. It doesn't really matter except for how he gets his information. But he says that this is the information in his book was correct. He says the Chinese found the remains of a foreign climber at 8,200 meters during their 1975 expedition to the north face of Mount Everest and also recovered the lost Kodak VPK and brought it back with them to Beijing. So what's interesting about this is that this means they found it later than the original Chinese team. So a second team Mm -hmm. from China is the one that found Irving and his camera. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say that they screwed up the development of the film and erased all evidence of this. Interesting. So the interesting thing here is that there's a really good video uh, by a man named Michael Tracy. He's not, he's not the political commentator. If anyone knows about him, but um, he, this is a guy who seems very honed in on all things Everest and mountain climbing. <laughs> and he's got this video uh, titled Debunked. Sandy Irvine and camera have been discovered? Question mark. And there's a lot of consternation around that original expedi- expedition. expedition, Chinese expedition, where mm-hmm. there's a documentary on it. And they see it. There's a body very clearly in one of the pictures, not from a the documentary. There's a body crumpled over, mm-hmm. and there's pictures of the team, and there's a body crumpled over mm-hmm. there, uh, just sitting there. The weird thing is, is they initially report no deaths, and then they report one death, and they said that they found the body of a, a foreigner. Indicating probably a white person. Okay. Okay. And then later in the 2000s, they changed their story to indicate that, no, this was actually a member of our expedition team. But one of the leaders and the first woman to ascend, the Chinese woman to ascend to the summit, even after they changed her story to it being a member of uh, a Chinese person, she stuck with the story that it was a foreigner. Mm. Now, there's a couple answers for this. One, she could still be going. Well, <laughs> right, Sorry. right. Well, the, the thing is, is the original story was a cover up because mm. the person that died was actually a politician. Oh. Um, the person that the person that died on the expedition that was actually crumpled over it was later revealed to be a politician. Okay. And another weird thing about it is that he fell two feet and died from his injuries. Now, they, the, the, the theory on that is that he actually had a heart attack, and they just didn't want uh, to make it sound so bad. For, yeah. Like, more heroic, I guess. Um, so, this is also, again, during Mao's reign, right? So, a lot of pressure, yeah. a lot of... Uh, we're perfect and we're not going to do anything wrong. And when these revelations yeah. came about, China was probably during a pretty good period. And so when the story changed and things became, I guess, maybe more honest, she was probably still spouting the lines that she was trained to tell people in her oh, original sure. stories for forgetting maybe that the story had changed. Okay. So there's a lot of questions around Irvine and if he was found in 1960, was he found in 75? Is he still out there and no one's seen him? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Mm. Nobody knows except for an alleged museum that might have it there, which (laughs) I don't know why they would do. Well, I've never heard that story before, Alex. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know they hadn't found all the bodies of them. Yeah. There are bodies all over Everest. (laughs) James. James. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm curious. 
What's the biggest thing you think historically that's ever gone missing? uh, Atlantis. (laughs) Oh, well, that's actually. (laughs) I want you to tell us about the Amber Room. Well, that's exactly what I was going to talk about. Oh, this is weird. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, that's really weird. Um, Yeah. Well, it's a. it's a room. That's the important thing. It's 560, no, 590 square feet. Got my got my metric <laughs> mixed up. Uh, 55 square meters, 590 square feet, six tons, a.k.a. 13,000 pounds, and it took over 10 years to make. How does something like that go missing? You may be wondering. Well, first, let's talk about its actual mm, coming into being. So Frederick was the first king of Prussia. And that's an enormous issue in and of itself because Prussia being a new entity that ultimately became an absolute powerhouse. But back in like 1701, it's just this new kid on the block and it's got a lot to prove. And a perfect example of this would be Frederick's uh, second wife, who's the one who wanted him to build it in the first place, Sophia Charlotte. She was the younger sister of King George the First. Um, and when she was growing up back in the day in uh, Osnabrück, her mom really wanted her to marry royalty. I mean, she was a noble, but like originally she took her to France because, again, Prussia didn't even exist at the time. Took her to France and she's like, please marry Louis the Prince. Please marry Louis the Prince. And the prince was like, nah, I like this other lady from Bavaria. And so she's just like, eh, I can't put my daughter out to a prince. <laughs> so then the prince's father, Louis the Fourteenth, dies. And she's like, how about you marry him? Not even kidding. It's so creepy yes. and weird, right? Um, but that falls through too. <laughs> so she's probably like super bummed at this point. But then she gets arranged to uh, Frederick, uh, son of Frederick William, elector of Brandenburg, and again, ultimately the first ever flipping king of Prussia. So, in other words, he's got a lot to prove, and she's got a lot to prove, as you can tell. So she's like, you should totally build like a crazy room that just awes people, just shock and awe. And he's like, okay, that's a great idea. So... He was like already very intrigued by uh, Gottfried Wolfram's work because he's just uh, he he was originally in the court of Frederick the Fourth, yeah, Fourth of Denmark, and uh, there was these two other fellas, Gottfried Turau, a lot of Gottfrieds apparently, and Ernst Schatt. Okay, not mm, swearing. Okay, his name. <laughs> Uh, but they happen to be Amber Masters. And that's the neatest thing about the Amber Room is a cursory glance at it. You might think like, okay, so that's the main color scheme. No, I have never heard of this in my life up until researching the Amber Room. They actually make like amazing works of art out of flipping amber, out of the actual substance. Oh. And this guy happened to be a flipping prodigy at it. So they hire him. Again, it took them 10 years. Took a lot of craftsmen, took a lot of work, uh, and I mean, just insane. And they were originally going to install it at, uh, uh, let's see, oh yeah, Charlottenburg Palace. But instead, they ended up putting it elsewhere, more on that later. So, took forever to make massive, massive construction. In some ways, it actually makes me think of a Fabergé egg. Imagine walking into a 590 square foot cubicle Fabergé egg. It is so ornate. I mean, angels and cherubs and historical figures and just all sorts of elaborate, beautiful uh, works. It's just crazy. So ultimately, they decided that uh, they were going to exhibit it. And I don't know. I mean, that alone is amazing that the thing's flipping sort of portable, I guess you could say. I mean, and that's sort of the problem. Uh, They decided they're going to exhibit it at Konigsberg Castle. Guess what happened uh, around the same time as they decided to exhibit it? I'll give you a hint. This was in uh, 1941. I wonder. Hmm. Yeah, World War II. That was kind of one of the big things. Oh, one of those uh, things. Yeah. Yeah, one of those things. And so uh, bear in mind, this is... This is centuries later. This is this is the 
20th century, and this all took place originally. It was constructed 1701, very beginning of, whoa, that was really severe lightning, uh, very beginning of the 18th century. So we're talking 240 years later, but they're displaying it, and German soldiers found it. They found it at Konisberg Castle, and they were like, you know what? (laughs) This is a big treasure, and uh, it belongs to another entity, and their wealth would become our wealth if we took it. So let's go ahead and do that. I should also point out that it was originally an attempt to disassemble it in a previous uh, skirmish, but the reason why they actually didn't seize it was just because amber is a pretty brittle substance, and they're like, "Uh, I don't know if we can really make off with this without breaking it. So what ended up happening January of 1945, a few years later, uh, Hitler himself gives an order saying, loot everything in Konisberg. Everything. Everything. (laughs) And so that included the Amber Room. Now, uh, Reich Minister of Armaments, Albert Speer, was like, I don't know if we can really do this, but we we can try. So... He asked Eric Koch, who is in charge of another flipping last name that's, you know, <laughs> going to get us in trouble. Uh, he was in charge of the administration, and he was like, you know, well, can we can we move this? And that guy just at some point, probably unrelated to that, actually abandoned his post and ran off. So at that point, they weren't really sure whether they should take it or not, whether it would be whether they were capable, not ethical. I mean, obviously they got orders from number one saying, hey, take this. But it was just one of those things where they didn't know if they could take it without destroying it. Well, during this time of uncertainty, um, because the Red Army had already advanced onto Conisberg, Royal Air Force uh, in in sort of, what would you call that, like a Mm -hmm. vanguard for the Red Army's invasion, they were like, let's firebomb the hell out of this place. So they did. So we don't know what happened. We know that the castle was destroyed, but we don't know if they actually made off with it or not. And that's the real kicker. There's no ruins that really suggest that it was destroyed, but, you know, in ruins, and you're dealing with, you know, a very dilapidatable kind of material, they're not really sure. What we do know is that in uh, 79, the Soviet government decided to make a replica for some reason, and that actually took them, I I kid you not, longer to make the replica. It took them like until around 2003. So they originally thought it would take 24 years, ended up taking them longer. Um, So, yeah, but they did. They did make a, a miniature version of the Amber Room. And so you can see it, sort of. It's not really it. But the theory, and that's the that's the mystery of it, is the theory is that maybe before everything really kicked off, kicked off, maybe the Germans did make off with it. And if they did, where would they have taken it? It's mm-hmm. kind of like a lot of stories about Nazi gold. You know, the Nazis hit a lot of gold in Switzerland. Maybe that's where the Amber Room is. It's in some big vault somewhere. It's got to be a bigger vault than 590 square feet. And uh, you got to have enough people willing to transport 13,000 pounds, but maybe they pulled it off. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think about things that are stolen like that. Mm -hmm. And I know that the world is so big, but I also know there's so many people who explore it. Yeah. So not knowing where something like that is just totally boggles my brain. Well, that's what drew me to it is how do you you lose a room? It's happened, though. It's It's happened. We've lost full cities. Why not one room? <laughs> well, you guys, James, good job uh, with your last minute topic. You did an excellent job. Thank Do you think you. there was any mosquitoes in the Amber Room? Oh, my Did God. Took get, me the, a sec. get the DNA? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Dino well, DNA. You know who loves the Amber? My grandmother, Maga. I was going to say 311. She's probably got it. Kids I wonder if she's got a piece of the uh, of the. <laughs> Does she have like a little bit of German heritage in her? Yes. Uh oh. 
<laughs> All right, listen, we're not accusing MAGA of anything. Thank it's, you very I'm much. I'm sure it's mostly Czech or something. What if MAGA has a piece of the Amber Room and my grandmother on my mom's side had a Fabergé egg? Boom, boom. That's definitely what's happening. Man. Well, you know what, you guys? Christina, I hope that we did your topic justice. We had so much fun with it. Mm-hmm. So thank you for suggesting that topic. And also, thank you for being a patron. It really means the world to us. Mm. Next week, we're going to return with another Patreon episode. Should we make it just a surprise? Or, well, James has already kind of let the cat out of the bag for next week's episode. What are we talking about next week, James? We're talking about Mandela Effect. We're talking about the Mandela Effect. So we're going to have to do some (laughs) some more research (laughs) on that. But, yeah. Do you guys have anything you want to add before I make Alex say who does our music? Uh, I just have a clarifying statement oh my on my end of things. Okay, I'm sorry. On. I didn't make it clear. I, I mentioned the North Face, and then I kind of left it at that, and then I forgot my point. But Edmund Hillary was the first to summit, but the Chinese team was the first to summit through the North Face. Uh, so okay, just, sure. just for clarification's sake. You know they right. gave him uh, his own coat of arms? It's got a little kiwi on top because he's from That's some New, New Zealand. Zealand. Yeah. Isn't that cute? <laughs> That's awesome. That's cute. That's cute. That's awesome. Well, thank you for your clarification, Alex. But who does our music? Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, or anywhere you listen to music. <laughs> or Apple. anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Anywhere. I, can't, I can't remember any of them. All right. Well, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. And until then, we hope that you can keep, keep it straight. straight.